So, the Beatitudes, we're, uh, we're in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And I was wondering, would anybody uh, volunteer to read 1 through 12 there? Probably not Dave, because it looks like he's having a hard time seeing. So, no? <laughs> now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven is great. For in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> when we look at the Beatitudes here, there, there's one, one thing to really keep in mind here. And sometimes this gets mistaken depending on, on who you're talking to. These, these things here, these character traits that it's talking about, these are not for salvation. These are being addressed to the saved. That's what they're doing here. So what, they're, what Jesus is showing here is that these are the marks, these are the evidences of grace working in someone. And it is the, when he sets them up like this, these are the ideal character traits for a disciple. And it also shows the present and latter rewards that come with it, <clears throat> aside from salvation. So Jesus is teaching then and now to those who are His when He's saying these Beatitudes. So we said that they are marks and evidences, but what they also are, because you might look at that and say, well, I've got two of those or whatever, right? These are goals. These are goals for the Christian. And it's not like spiritual gifts where somebody might say, um, I don't know, that they have the ability to prophesy or something, and they, but they don't have any of the other ones. They have the ability to teach, but they don't have the other ones. In that aspect, that's okay. But what we're looking at here is, is items that everyone should aspire to. You shouldn't want to exclude one or the other. So, these are the things that we, that we pray to God that He would sanctify us in so that we could try to attain these through Him. Knowing that as sanctification goes throughout our life, that it's something that ebbs and flows, and that we're truly never going to master them, but that doesn't stop the desire to attain them. So Jesus, he's uh, we have a setup for this sermon here. And I didn't have the page ready, but oh I do have it here. Okay. In the previous chapter, at the end, it sets up what's going on before this sermon occurs. 
Um, and it's in Matthew 4, 23-25, where it says, Jesus was going about all in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And the news about him spread through Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and severe pain, demon-possessed, people with epilepsy, and people who were paralyzed, and he healed them. And then large crowds followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So he has this huge crowd that's following him now. And they're following him up to this mountain. Mountains are always associated in some way with important events in Scripture. If you think about it, they are at least associated with eras. Uh, Mount Sinai is where the history of the law starts. Mount Zion is symbolic of the church. Calvary, associated with our redemption. And the Mount of Olives, associated with Christ's ascension after His resurrection. So this, when you're looking at the Gospels, appears to be the first sermon that Christ really gives at the start of His ministry. But here, instead of delivering commandments or laws, He delivers us the Beatitudes. What does that mean? What does Beatitudes mean? Beatitudes are like a a state of bliss, of utmost bliss, of happiness. That's what it means for a beatitude. In fact, that's what blessing means in these Greek words that are used for blessed. It means happiness, great joy. But in times before, God spoke through prophets, through people, to His people. But now, in this first sermon, God Himself in the flesh is speaking to people now. Now, and you'll, you'll notice that in the beginning here, it talks about how he sat down and then he started speaking. That might seem a little backwards to what you would normally think of because even in this scenario right here, I'm standing and you guys are sitting. But they did it backwards. That's, that was customary back then for people to come up and stand next to the teacher who was sitting and listen to him. But he didn't just speak. It's, it almost sounds kind of funny because it says he opened his mouth. Well, duh, he opened his mouth to speak, right? But it's, it's saying that he really opened his mouth. He was saying so that the crowd could hear him. So that they could hear what he had to say. He was declaring something. You know, in, we, in just uh, what last week, we celebrated our declaration of independence. Where we declared that we had had enough. We weren't going to listen to this country anymore. But here, Jesus is declaring what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Now, you may or may not know this, but the last word in the, New, in the Old Testament, the last word used there is curse. That's how the Old Testament ends, with the word curse. And then there was 400 years of silence from God. They call it the intertestamental period where God did not speak through prophets for 400 years. At least none were recorded if He did. But then, God in the flesh comes down. Jesus has His first sermon 
And though the uh, last word in the Old Testament was cursed, the first word in this sermon is blessed. And he repeats it several times. And like I said, this is not about how to be saved, but it's for the saved. And so it's not surprising that blessed is used over and over and over again. Because all of Jesus' teachings, when you really hear them, are a blessing to hear, to walk in, because Christ came to save us if we should believe. So, there appears to be, when we look, when we read these, seven character traits or marks that Jesus is talking about. I know it looks like there's more, but there's really seven that I can see at least. They're blessings on a person. And due to persecution for holding the seven, you see the eighth. The eighth is a, is a confirmation that somebody is holding these other traits in them. So, seven optimal Christian character traits. Charles Spurgeon, uh, pastor in the late 18th, 1800s, he talked of this quite eloquently. And uh, he spoke of the seven as seven links or steps. And it's a good way to think of them because uh, think of your stairs in your house if you have them. Uh, each one is vital, but you need the whole to get done what you need to do. I know that because every now and then I miss a stair and then I end up on my butt at the bottom. So... Each step is vitally important. And the same thing if it was a chain. The chain would look kind of funny if it was missing the middle link. Wouldn't quite be the right chain. So that's the same way that these Beatitudes are to be taken. Vitally important by themselves, but you should aspire for the whole. So we, it starts and it talks of that poor in spirit. Well, when somebody is poor in spirit, they're going to be able to mourn that insufficiency, and we'll get a little bit more into that. And when somebody is a humble, poor, mourning spirit, it enables them to be more meek or gentle with others. And that poor, gentle spirit, that will find itself thirsting or hungering for righteousness in Christ Jesus because we don't have it on our own. So in finding righteousness that we don't deserve, we're going to find mercy and we're going to give mercy to others. And being cloaked in Christ's righteousness, exuding mercy, finding you find the Holy Spirit cleansing and aligning a person's heart so that they will yearn for peace, for their self and for others. And after all of these things that you've strived for, and it sounds contrary, but you'll find that blessed persecution for being in Christ Jesus. So notice when you read the Beatitudes, blessed, always blessed. Every line is starting with blessed. But the important part here is that if you look at it, it's in the present tense. It's not that you're going to be blessed later. It's that you're going to be blessed now. And in these blessings, 
if you look, it's almost boxed in with a present reward at the beginning and at the end. What do I mean by that? Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you go down to the eighth. To the eighth, where am I at? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See how it's boxed those in. And everything in between there is rewards for later. For later. So in the middle, we see these blessings and these future rewards for on, in heaven and in earth. And it's interesting the way that that is set up. But back, let's go back to the actual teachings here. So the poor in spirit. This is the first step in a relationship with God. I know this, this is not the setup for salvation, but if you notice, it is the first step in the relationship with the Lord. Because the kingdom of heaven is not given to you based on your race. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on your works, your achievements. It's not based on your class in society. When the Holy Spirit works in a person's heart, we see how poor in spirit we are. So even that is a gift from God because we might not have been able to see that before. See how badly we need to be born again. And people talk of equality all the time in this world. How badly they want equality. Well, here we have equality because we're all starting at the same spiritual bankrupt level. Everyone is. And everyone needs God. So we all start with this same first step. But don't confuse what I'm saying. I'm not, this is not talking about your worth as an individual. Everyone is made in God's image. Everyone is valuable to God. What we're talking about is your spiritual state before you're born again, before a person is regenerated. Because we know that the unregenerated person is in a sinful, rebellious state and that God needs to raise them to new life. So though this is the first mark that Jesus lays for us, it is the most important because it gives us the most important reward. There's just the kingdom of heaven. So this is a character trait that brings a person to repentance, to faith in Jesus Christ, and their reward is the kingdom of heaven. The blessed are those that mourn. And this mourn is not a, you know, you stub your toe, oh boo-hoo. This is a genuine cry, a genuine mourning. And it is because of that first one, being in poor in spirit. You have realized that you're poor in spirit. And now you're mourning that poorness in spirit because you know that you need redemption in Christ. It's a godly sorrow, but it's not a destination for you. It's just a road. You shouldn't live in it forever. Because the true destination is fellowship with Christ. So blessed are the gentle or the meek, depending on your version that you're looking at. So this is interesting. I had to really kind of look into this. So according to people who have translated this Greek word, it's almost nearly impossible to translate it word for word with just one English word. It has an idea of the proper balance between anger and indifference, 
and of a powerful personality that is properly controlled, and of humility. So the main idea behind this word meek or gentle is that it's strength under control, like a strong horse who has been trained to do a job instead of just running wild because they want to. It's kind of an interesting thing. So the first two Beatitudes were inward. They were all inward. But this one really relates to how we relate to other people. And how we submit to God's will. Because sometimes when we're dealing with other people, there's other ways that we would like to act that are contrary to God's will. But meek people are strong. And they are humble, gentle, patient, and long-suffering. So meek is not, and is not being given a short straw, because what does it say for the meek? It will inherit the earth. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Real hunger and real thirst, if you've ever had it, is intense and it is painful. When you're really hungry, you know, and that's just physical hunger. But it's a sign of health and your body is showing you that you need something, right? This is the same thing in the Spirit. So you should, you should want a righteous nature. You should be hungering for that, right? You should want to be, th- to be sanctified, to become more holy, more Christ-like. You should want to remain in Christ's righteousness, and we should want to promote it in a sinful world. If you seek this in Lord in the Lord Jesus, he'll fill you, but it's supposed to be something of like a favorite food. You eat it, but you want more later, right? You always want more. It's the same concept here with this hunger and thirst for righteousness. So blessed are the merciful. Now there's a bit of an irony or maybe a mystery in this because I think of it this way. It is by mercy that you have been made poor in spirit, that you have been able to mourn that, that you've been able to become meek and hunger for righteousness. It's by mercy. Yet, it says by showing mercy, you will receive it. So we must show mercy for those needing forgiveness from us and showing compassion to those who need it and caring for those who need it. And it's just ironic because we've already received it as well. So blessed are the pure in heart. Now, when people read that, they sometimes get the wrong idea. That's not a moral purity. Uh, Good luck finding a completely pure moral person in this world. Everyone has their flaw. But God works on those things with us. But this purity is actually more of a an undivided heart, a heart that is it's given its full attention to God and the commitment that you've made towards Him. So with full attention to God, you will see Him and you will be intimate with Him in a way you couldn't before. That's what this is talking about with this pure of heart. So, blessed are the peacemakers. I get in trouble with this one every once in a blue moon because everybody wants to attribute this to cops. 
And while I think that that can be true, I don't think that that's the intention of Scripture. They weren't talking about police back then. This applies to Christ's teachings to us when we forgive people who have wronged us. That's being a peacemaker, because you could fight with them. You could very easily fight with somebody who's wronged you. You could default to that flesh and do that. Being a peacemaker is just its about not, not uh, going and policing the, the violence or, the, or the, uh, the criminals. It's about keeping that peace within you and applying it to people in your life. If anybody has any thoughts on that, though, um, at the end, please bring them up because I'm not entirely set on that. So... Now, you may or may not know this, but in Luke chapter 6, we actually have a mirror image of the Beatitudes. It talks of the Beatitudes a little bit in 6, 20 through 26, but it adds a little bit at the end, which they did not have in Matthew. And it says, so at the end of Matthew, we have rejoice and be glad that your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way, before they persecuted the prophets who were before you, now, at the end of Luke, it says, But woe to you who are rich, for you, who are re- for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. So there's a warning applied here. This is all about heavenly treasure. That's what this whole thing is about. These rewards are heavenly treasure. And the warning at the end there is to not get caught up in everything in this physical world. Not get caught up in your possessions and in your money. Yes, you need them because it's pretty hard to go about here without money. But you're not to treasure them. Otherwise, that will be your only treasure. 